five, four, three, two, one. Shoopity bop bop bop. It's the scoops. What's the scoops, Benny? Tell me about it. Hey guys, um, welcome to our first episode of our uh, brand new podcast ever. Uh, my name is Ben Simmons. I'm a football coach, a business professional, and uh, overall sports enthusiast. Um, my other friend over here, uh, he'll talk about himself. Yeah, Jeff over here. Um, I'm uh, hopefully going to be a kinesiologist uh, in April. I'm a football coach, taekwondo instructor, kickboxing instructor, and personal trainer. And uh, yeah, uh, overall sports enthusiast like Ben. Hi, I'm Kiana, and I'm not a sports I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm Kiana. I am a registered kinesiologist, a registered massage therapist, and as my fellow podcasters are, I also do like sports. So we're just three really good friends that want to talk about different stuff and topics that are always on our mind. We always have really good uh, discussions, not arguments discussions uh we figured we're really passionate about what we do and what we pursue in our careers so we figured why not put a a show to it and just start uh creating some content and go from there so kind of each show um kind of a name behind it quickly uh the scoops uh a saying one of our best friends who's hawaiian uses uh we're kind of interpreting it in our own way of talking about the topics that are the hot topics of uh the month, the week, or the year. So that's kind of the scoops on the on the information or the whatever we're talking about. Uh, so each week we're going to have, or each month, we're going to start with monthly episodes and have a hot topic of that episode. And then all three of us are going to have a theme of the week kind of that we each talk about and have questions about. And then we'll talk more about uh, other things we're doing for the podcast at the end of the show. But uh, I guess I'll get started. Uh, our theme for our first ever episode was coaches because uh, we've all had coaches influence, influence us, affect us, help us grow, help us mature. Whether they were good coaches or bad coaches, they all had effects on us in some way. So uh, I guess I'll get started. So for my topic about coaches um, and something that I, I noticed in a, you know the later years of my life was the difference between um, my hockey coaches and my football coaches and everyone says hockey so big in Canada and it's so prevalent and there's so much going on that that's why we're the best but what I find is at the lowest level of hockey you can have kind of a plug-and-play coach where it's somebody's dad or it's just some volunteer which there's nothing wrong with that but really kids can step on the ice and go play hockey and there's not a lot of crazy organization going on to it whereas football what i found at the lowest level and in canada where it's not as pre prevalent is the coach better know what he's kind of doing or else it's not going to go anywhere like football is a sport where you got to come organized you got to come prepared uh you got to have discipline uh be on time a, a lot more scheduled process and thinking going on in football versus hockey at a similar level. Don't get me wrong. Hockey at its high, highest level has coaches that are great and, you know, thinking about 
what the week is like, what the game plan is going to be against certain teams and their top players. But that's like at the top of the sport, whereas the lowest sport in my experience, because I played hockey for about 15 years, um, the coaches have some guidelines and some help from Hockey Canada. But there's it's kind of whatever they interpret hockey as from from their growing up. So that's just kind of my experience. Do you think that's from the fact that like, I mean, I haven't played hockey, so I don't know a ton about it, but I feel like the plays in hockey are not nearly as complex as the plays in football, right? Like you can't go out and just like do backyard football in a football game. I do think that has to do with volume. Um, like the number of kids on a, a low level or bantam hockey team, you're, you're looking at 15, 16 kids. Whereas even at young, like small football teams, you're still looking at nearly you're looking at almost twice as many kids on the team. So the pressure for coaches at that level is a little bit higher in terms of organization, just because you have a bigger number of kids you need to coach. And I know you coach now, Ben, so, and you play hockey still. So how did that affect you with your coaching? Um, Well, I think like with coaching, like I don't coach hockey. Um, I think I would do it very differently though than what I grew up with. Um, and to go back to what Jeff was talking about a little bit too, cause you guys kind of tie in together. Um, I, I think the, the craziest example though, is what we got to remember is we're in Canada where football is not the main sport and hockey is supposed to be our main sport. But I just think sports in general are handled differently in Canada than they are in the States. And now that's probably obvious. There's a lot more money down there going on for teams making winning tournaments or winning state championships. But um, I don't know. I think, I, I think it's a, uh, it, it's something that I keep talking about with people because it's so interesting that if hockey coaches at a lower level were better, I think a lot more kids could develop and go further with hockey rather than being, you know, Oh, that kid's playing house hockey. He's no good at hockey. And, it's just kind of different that way. Like, whereas football, if I put in the time, like I was a terrible football player when I first started, like most people are, but I, Jeff could say this. I was, there is no way I should have played junior football when you first met me. <laughs> Not a chance. I was like a third string quarterback that moved to linebacker that went to O-line. Like I was just trying to find a job, yeah. and, but it's, it's a sport where you put time in and, and you get results. Whereas I, I don't, I don't often see that with hockey because there's so much more going on and it's just set up, I think so poorly in Canada. Mm. Do you think that's a downside though? Like having it less, um, like less intense, like for instance, uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about having kids specialize at such a young age and, and having it less fun. You know what I mean? Whereas like hockey here, it's less stressful. It's less like, oh, you need to know these exact mm-hmm. plays. And it's more like, just go play hockey, because you know, like go be an hockey. athlete. Yeah. That might, that might I, I think be that's a, a, I think that's a flip though, because, because the top level is so intense and so organized that those kids are then told exactly what you're saying. Specialize, specialize, specialize. Like I know tons of kids that decide not to play football in Canada because they're like, oh, my hockey coach said I can't. And I, I don't think that's good at all for this. But are those the same coaches that are like unorganized and like, no, no, these are, these are the top level coaches. I'm saying this is like midget or I don't even know what they call it anymore, but now it's like major midget or tier one hockey. What is, age is that? 
that that starts when they're in peewee which is like 13 14 because mm. now <laughs> now kids get drafted into mm-hmm. major junior which is the rockets the giants victoria royals they get drafted when they're 15 to that league mm-hmm. yeah yeah i treat so some kids that um, are young 15 years old and they are living away from home in billets and doing hockey at that level and i can't imagine being in a situation that young being away from home and then also having that much pressure from coaches and and stuff to succeed and yeah that could be that'd be intense at that age like we would always joke about because they're allowed to trade uh players at the major junior level and like as when we were playing football like we were all joking could you imagine getting traded like would you keep playing and i i talked to a few guys that played junior and got traded and you know a lot of them faded out of hockey because of it because they were like 17 or 16 getting shipped to a city in the middle of nowhere or some shit Mm -hmm. that was (laughs) (laughs) exactly or quinnell quinnell has a hockey team like nothing against quinnell but i I wouldn't want to go play my sports there like (laughs) i wouldn't need to chase my football dream where i knew i was not going to play professional football but yeah not good i guess i guess what i was saying like going back to the first thing you're saying with um it being like the coaches are a little little less organized and like a little strict at a younger age. Like I feel like that might not be a bad thing in hockey, whereas in football you have those parents who think they know football and are trying to put in all these complicated plays and like are trying to make things super intense and, and uh, at a higher level than the kids are rather than, the, than it being fun. Do you think that is a good thing or a bad thing at that age? Like I, I was assuming when you were talking, you were saying like younger kids, like and um, younger kind of thing. Well, I never got to play football at, you know, uh, that young age. Um, like, that could be a whole other episode if we go into that little can of worms. <laughs> like, because USA, USA football is looking at that a lot right now, is a hot topic. Is, do, do, do the youngest kids need to wear pads? Should they be playing tackle football? Yeah. Um, I, I agree that like there are always going to be parents that ruin it, but you know some of the things that made football the most fun for me was putting in the work. Like even when we were first year players on the team, was putting in the work and seeing success. And and I think like you know we do this part. We have this participation generation. It's, it's a, a little name for it, but like these these you know oh you tried and you failed, but you know hey here's a ribbon. And it's like, I, I will never want that. Like, uh, is that, is, is that what's happening with hockey or? I think uh, that that's a, to a degree, Yeah. to a degree they, they reward. Um, I, I think it's all sports right now, not to just narrow it down to hockey. But what, what I think is, is there's so many kids that could get better at hockey, but if they play house hockey their whole career, they never will. They'll never have the right coaching. They'll have to go pay for professional coaching or side coaching. Like they'll never get better just playing house hockey. There's no way because a rep team won't take them seriously and move them up. Like plenty of kids get stuck in the system of just, you know, uh, it's like the book, the outliers. uh, I was going to say that that's exactly, I was going to say that also has other factors to it though. That's not necessarily just coaching. Sure. But at the lowest level of hockey, 
you can just go out there and play shinny where I, I missed Jeff's question on this at like a higher level of hockey, which I'm not an expert on. There are plays, there are breakdowns of film, like hockey changed to a analytical kind of um, game strategy. plan breakdown. It's strategy completely changed and, you know, old school hockey fans don't always love it. Like a few years back, you guys probably didn't know about this, but Tampa Bay was using this uh, defensive tactic of holding the neutral zone and not pressuring the other team. And it was really boring hockey for people to watch because the other teams couldn't go anywhere. And Tampa Bay was winning games like one nothing, 2-1. And it, it was like a controversy in NHL because that's not what hockey used to be. But yeah. I don't know. There, there's probably a lot of factors to it. But like to add to the outliers thing where a little quick thing on that was he looked at all NHL players and he found most of them were born in the first six months of the year because they're a year older than their their opponent more developed they're more developed than so then, born later in the year based so on when the they, way the cutoffs work for, for hockey yeah yeah and so then they get the better coaching the better ice time they get bumped the up and they move up faster now i think a part of that is this like low level of, of and i'm sure it's different for each sport and that's just my point is if you took each sport a little bit more seriously than it than the lowest level if you want to just go play and have fun you know there's there's rec leagues and stuff like that but if you want to get better you're kind of stuck left to figure that out on your own whereas you know an eye-opening experience for me is football you have no choice if you want to play tackle football there's one way to play it yeah i feel like that's a thing about football in general though like there is no like, unless you want to play touch football, there is no, like, you don't half-ass it. Bush League football, right? Yeah. There's no beer league football where you can just go and, like, go play at any age. And, like, at but least yeah, in so Canada. That's, that's why I, it was, you know, it's a topic for me because I was thinking about, you know, when we said coaches was our theme. Um, the thing that got my head spinning was, you know, I don't have a hockey coach that sticks out to me. Now, like, there's plenty of guys that have coached me over the years um that have been good coaches and i like them as uh people but and like human beings they were like you know fun to be around but as a did they develop me did they push me to a new limit did they do anything no not like not the quite the same as like meeting a mike godwin and you know of course yeah. he's a really exceptional football coach for high school football but i just found every if i go think about my favorite coaches they're all football coaches yeah. They all do something. But what did they ask if they just they just forced you to put in the time, put in the work versus a hockey coach? Um, it actually kind of segues that. into what my topic was going to be and like what do you like what my mine was going to be what do you think makes a good coach a good coach? Like what are the qualities ah, okay. a coach Perfect. should have? So it kind of segues into what mine was. A hundred percent is challenge leadership. And this is why we left business in the tagline, because this is like number one hardest thing to do in business and to do in sports is take on take on challenges and be able to initiate challenges. And I think that's the number one thing a coach could be great at is finding a way for to have his team persevere and beat adversity. 
So not just motivational. You could be a great, you could have a silver tongue. You could be a good talker. Oh, yeah, I'm all motivated, but like coach didn't give us game plan. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. You're all fired up, but hey, what are we I doing? Think, <laughs> I think a part of that too is even like if, if there is an adversity, like as a coach creating some adversity, you know what I mean? Like, like for instance, when we were playing with the sun, like we were almost so good that like we didn't have to face anyone that was bad. So we almost had to come up with our own adversity. Like I remember uh, Beatty would, would almost say like, oh, they think these guys are going to beat us and kind of make up a story. And like he didn't actually think that, but like he needed us to believe that in order for it to us to have something to fight for. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think yeah, that's, you know, keep keeping uh, your team in check is huge. Yeah. Huge. Keeping them humble. Um, it, it, it's an overall characteristic of leadership. Leadership is the, you know, and that's a little broad, but being a good leader is is crucial to being a coach. And, um, you know, Mike Godwin for in high school football didn't just say, oh, Ben, you have to go to the gym. He said, hey, if, like, you're going into your grade 11 year. If you want to be a starter in grade 12 and be really good, you have to be in the gym four days a week with me, trading your butt off, learning the game of football. And I was like, whoa, okay, I can be a starter in grade 12? <laughs> like, I was able to look three years ahead. And, and I think a lot of times, I, I don't know if it was what I learned from my dad with his work ethic, but um, – I don't often see a generation, especially with what I'm coaching now, a generation where they're willing to look long-term about what pays off too. So it's kind of like a different topic. We'll bring it back. But, you know, what what things for you, Jeff, make uh, – like who, yeah. who, is, who is someone that you use as an example as a great coach? Well, I think I have like – three coaches that, and they all have like a certain characteristic in, in, uh, uh, they all share a certain characteristic and that's like enthusiasm. Like my top coaches, if you think about like Pete McCall, Mike Godwin, Beatty, they're all so enthusiastic. Like every time they show up on the field, they're fired up to be there. I think that's like something really important, uh, and something that separates like the great coaches I've had versus just some of the coaches I've had. Um, like if you look at, uh, uh, some of the coaches the Okanagan Sun have had in the past couple of years, they haven't been quite as enthusiastic, or at least they don't show it as much on the field. And I think that kind of rubs off on the players. Um, whereas if you have that attitude, uh, not saying it has to be like uh, uh, like anger or anything like that, but just they're, they're fired up to be there. And I think that's super contagious uh, when it comes to building a team. Do you think, as uh, something I was thinking about not too long ago, do you think great coaches um, create the great players or is it like a, is it a great player finding a great, co like do, do coaches and players match up more? So, because the, I, I think it's an, not an unfair example, but for the Okanagan sun, like uh, that's a junior football team for anyone that doesn't know, um, you know, they change coaches so much that how is that coach supposed to build and create a culture? And like, right, that's like, you know, some of those coaches you named, they build cultures around enthusiasm, you know, hard work, discipline, focus, like crazy, you know, game planning where we're all dialed in, all all 12 guys on the field where, you know, 
we all knew what we were doing on defense. But, is that like yeah. from that you think? Because that's something I was thinking about. Is it like you look at the NFL and it, everybody talks about greats? Was it was it a great coach that came in, or was it that a coach got to kind of find the players that he related with? Well, how long was Pete McCall a coach? Two right. years, right? Three years, yeah. No, he got fired. I'm pretty sure after his second year. Okay, and and his first two years, the first two years, right? He went to, we made it to BCFC both those years. And I would say both those teams were were capable of of going further. And I mean, we had a lot of local players and stuff. So, I mean, maybe he found those players, but I don't don't think it takes long to build a culture like that. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think it's all about the players. (laughs) So, from me seeing you guys in your last year of football, I think I know you guys have been talking a lot about head coaches, but I do think specifically in football that position coaches were really important. Um, as you say, Beatty was a very enthusiastic coach, and he had a very specific coaching style, which uh, involved a lot of yelling. And as you're mentioning, Ben, is it a, a coach that coaches up these players, or are the players already at this level and they just needed someone to match with them? Um, and I think that's when position coaches come in huge in huge parts. There was definitely kids who did not excel under Beatty's coaching style, but that's when their position coaches would step up and, and take that spot for them and give, give them the style of coaching that they needed. Um, specifically when you were coaching linebackers, um, some kids do not excel under pressure and being yelled at and being called out in front of the team in front of practice. And they need someone to break it down for them, give it to them straight. Look, this is what you did wrong. This is what you need to change. Uh, and then they excelled under that which is maybe a difference from your hockey coaching. Hockey coaches, you have one coach. You have one head coach. I'm sure there's other position coaches, but they're not as heavily involved on the sideline as, as a sport like football. Yeah. No, 100%. And, and now that I've gotten to see the other side of it, of being a um, position coach and um, getting to work under a head coach, like it is – massively important that you choose the right coaching staff like that that is something i'm learning more and more every year i coach especially a high level like junior football um you gotta know who's underneath you and they're gonna do they're gonna you know have your back but at the same time when a kid needs to be picked up that's what a position coach is for and i think even the one year jeff and i spent under bd like bd you know he would say it in meetings and stuff like you know, and, and I've heard it in multiple meetings. Actually, I've heard it from a lot of coaches where it's like, "Hey, we're gonna tear this. We're we're gonna we're gonna lay into this kid. Somebody go pick him up after. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It's we'll see how planned. he responds. Yeah, it, yeah, a lot of times it's been planned, but um, you but know, it's, it's uh, my first my first styles. year, yeah, my first year with Langley though, it was pretty cool. Uh, a a different thing I got to see is, you know, um, my coach like sat back and he watched us coach. And, and the only time he really, like, he was more offensive and we were defensive. But, like, unless you were saying the wrong things and not coaching, like, or just period you weren't speaking, then they just let you run your position. And, you know, you get to know those guys uh, or these kids that are underneath you and you kind of become someone they look to. So when they're not playing, they're looking at you. When they're wanting more playing time when they're not dressing. Hey coach, what do what don't you see in me regardless of 
what the head coach or the special teams or, you know, what these kids don't realize that they do. Like we had a kid this year that didn't play and he didn't realize he sabotaged himself from the start because he refused to play special teams. He's like, oh, I don't want to play specials. I want to focus on D-line. <laughs> and then the special teams coach told me that. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> like, you're going to ride the pine, kid. Like, you got to learn. Like, you got to be willing to do whatever job is necessary. And then you can do your specialty or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I agree with you. The, the, the position coach is huge. Very huge. So my interpretation of coaching has kind of um... – taking me down the road of what have teachers or coaches in my past taught me that helped me outside of sport in terms of in my education, in my jobs, stuff like that, skills that I have acquired uh, from them that have made me better. And I've been able to bring out into other aspects of my life. And I grew up pretty much exclusively only doing um, ballet. I think I did Taekwondo when I was a small child, but very, very exclusively doing dance. I was a very competitive ballet dancer. Um, I was in the studio probably four or five days a week. Um, That was, that was all I did for 12, 13 years. And uh, the main ballet teacher I had, uh, she was for lack of a better word, a hard ass. She was a huge hard ass. And um, as like, a small prepubescent girl, absolutely terrifying and mean. Uh, but now in retrospect, and by the time I hit my late teens, I realized that this, it wasn't in a malicious sense that she was doing this. She wanted us to be our best and she always asked the best of us. And it's um, really taught me to take con- constructive criticism and really apply it without being personally offended. Um, which has been something huge considering I worked in the service industry for a large number of years and people don't always say the nicest things to you and being able to um, take that and let it run off. Um, So you talked about your ballet coach being absolutely ruthless. Um, At the time when, when your coach was being super hard on you, how do you think that affected you? Uh, I never, I never wanted to quit. Okay. Uh, whether that's me being stubborn or because I felt like I was learning something, but at, at no point in my entire ballet career did I ever think, no, this is too much. I want to quit. Did you um, ever wall? Pardon? So it's, it's something that, um, happened to me in my professional career, but you know, did you ever hit a wall? Did you ever have that moment? Do, do you think you ever had that moment where you were like, I don't know if this is for me? Uh, I don't think so. I think your career, quote unquote career as a ballet dancer is quite limited. Um, After I graduated high school, I stopped. You move away, you go to university, you don't do it anymore. Whereas with other sports, you're able to continue and do higher leagues, stuff like that. But with ballet, unless you're going to go professional or go dance on a cruise ship, there's not really anything for you to do after you graduate high school. Um, Which for me, I think kind of showed that there was a finality to it which prevented me from hitting a wall because you knew in the future, there was an end date. Like it wasn't just going to go on forever. Mm. Does that make sense? I feel like that's kind of similar to football. Like I always was like, there's no way I'm quitting. I can only play till I'm 22. Like Mm -hmm. I never thought I was going pro or anything like that. Never wanted, really wanted to go pro. It was always like, I, I only have so many years to do it. 
So, so what, um, what would you say to someone where three years is too long? Like instead of seeing it as an end date and I can make it to that end date to the person that hit the wall and goes, yeah, I don't know if I can do this in another three years, just three I, years in the grand scheme of things. Three years is nothing. That That's very true. I think but it, sh- it shows in the, in class sizes when you're dancing, like when you first start in baby class, when you're five, there's 20 kids in that class. Um, and by the time I got up into, I did my advanced one Royal Academy of Ballet examination. Uh, and there was three people in the class, including me. So I think it just shows um, the people who really loved it and wanted to be there. And I don't think anyone got any razz for, for dropping out. When we went to high school, a lot of girls wanted to hang out with their friends more. And I, I understand, but um well, I think Jeff, at that oh, at that point, it's just not for you. Know it's not for you. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeff and I can relate to a different experience where if you dropped out of football, Jeff, like that guy got ridiculed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I it, and I don't know if it's like a sports difference or it's just like. Well, obviously, like ballet is is individual, and there's like so much technique and um, crazy uh, a different type of athleticism that goes into that. Versus like football, can you can you know until really you hit junior, you can not work out and be good at football. <laughs> you know what I think the the biggest difference is is that football is a team sport, whereas ballet is not. Like if you have a guy on the team who decides to quit, it feels like he's letting you down like yeah. a, mm-hmm. as a teammate. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas yeah, like ballet, if, yeah. if someone else leaves, like it, yeah. no, it, no harm it, to Examination you, right? wise doesn't really affect you at all. Yeah, you do like recitals and competitions and stuff, but um, people don't drop out in the middle of the season. They drop out in between seasons, so it really doesn't affect you. That's very true. That's a good way of looking at it. It's not a personal letdown. Yeah. If you're, I don't know, say your starting quarterback decides he doesn't want to play football anymore, it's like, oh, like that kind of hurts, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, if your starting quarterback decides not to play, hmm, wonder how that would change your season. Anyway, <laughs> not going to talk about that. <laughs> that's funny because that was about the actually, <laughs> actually, that's funny. No, because it's both my my NFL team and the team I coached on yeah. quarterback play. I wasn't sure when you were going. I never thought I about that. I don't think kids leaving is a is a coaching thing. I uh, feel like if if a kid's gonna leave, that's already been in his mind. Whether or not the coaching pushed him over that or them over the edge to leave, that's always been in the back of their mind. No kid who loves their their sport one year gets a different coach the next year and then completely quits. That's not a thing. He has been probably on the edge about like oh I want to do this I'd like to hang out with my girlfriend stuff like that that's not a coaching so so hold on though because this comes from my business world and the number one true statement is people don't quit their company people quit their manager and it's it's what we follow and we know it's true when somebody quits if you don't take that serious because they're they're not quitting like nobody cares what Sintas does in the grand scheme of things and how much mm-hmm. money, like for any worker that works there, like, uh, you know, I have a, investments in 
my company, so I do care how we perform. But to the general worker, they they all they what they really want is a, a steady paying job where it's you know hassle free. Maybe it's fun to work, and they can provide for their family. And so for for you to spend all this time hiring them, and same with sports. If you think about it in the, in the sense of sports, you spend all this time in a sport and you up and quit maybe it's time for like a coach and i've had a kid quit me when i was coaching high school and here and there but like maybe we weren't reaching out to these kids the right way or or it's changed or who knows right like i coaching at the high school level was very difficult i also feel like it it might be the manager's fault but it could be because the manager's asking more of you than you have in the past you know what i mean like if Much you have a good a good coach or a good manager who's asking you to become better and you don't want to put that time or effort in to become better, well then yeah, technically it is the manager's fault, but it's because you don't want to put that effort in. So here's the interesting spin that we get trained on as managers is yes, you can say circumstances have changed, job responsibilities have changed, but when you hired this person you saw something and something worked out. They made it through probation period and you liked them. Things went well. Like, if, especially if this person makes it over a year. If somebody makes it over a year, they've survived the, the one year rate. With the same manager, they've survived the one year rate. Something happens or something changes or who knows what, what you might have said. Like, my, my biggest struggle of, of my job is – Trying to be, and it's something I strive for, is a hundred and thirty percent honest and truthful with the utmost integrity. That's all I try to do is let the people working underneath me know what I'm going to do and have full expectations of Ben said he was going to do something. He's going to do it. I could also break that trust. There goes there. I just broke. I could break 10 years of of trust. With one with one line. I think it's also important to make sure that they know what they're expected to do. You know what I mean? Like sometimes getting hired, you don't think the job's going to be as tough as it is. Um, And I think if you if you don't let them know up front that this is what you expect from them from that job, then that's where the issue arises. That's funny you guys say that. That's that's exactly why I think my dance teacher was so successful. Because whether I was eight or eighteen, she treated me exactly the same. Like she always was a hard ass. She always expected the best. She always expected you to try harder and put in the work, which also probably contributed to me not quitting. Because she, it was never, it was always the same over the whole time I was there. Yeah, and and you know, um, that's huge. Is is sustainability right consistency. and consistency and being able to you know show up like jeff said show up every day with enthusiasm like for your coach mm-hmm. same as your manager should like um you know if i don't go say hi to everybody at the start of my shift somebody thinks i'm mad at them because that's a consistency but that's a consistency ben, when you were my manager you didn't say hi to me <laughs> maybe i was a bad manager i don't know <laughs> Maybe I didn't want to say hi. I didn't hire you. <laughs> it's true, you didn't. <laughs> I definitely but, used you as a reference, though. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, 
like like what Jeff just said of maybe it's not the manager, maybe it's the experience of not knowing or not the experience, but the expectations were set up wrong. I still feel like that would be my fault if I was a manager. If I didn't sure. show you the expectations correctly and you became a bad employee, that's still got to be on me. Because while there's like a lot of these generational changes happening and people don't like what's happening, I think the number one thing that's happening that I actually think we need to do is hold yourself individually more accountable. That is definitely one thing people got to start doing more of is don't blame circumstance. Don't blame like I like blaming the corporation or blaming whatever. It's like blame if something if things are going to go wrong, take blame yourself and, and learn, learn a way to fix it or learn a way to, to make it better. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's with pretty much everything, right? Like Jocko Willink is a huge proponent of uh, taking ownership over yourself and, and actions that happen, right? I think that goes as a football coach and as a player, right? Like if you if yeah. you mess up, take ownership. Don't blame it on the fact that the coach didn't teach you what to do. It's probably because you didn't go into the playbook and read, you know? Yeah. You forgot something or, um, you know, you name it, you could screw it up in football. But, um, you know, for Kiana and your dance teacher, like, like you said, the biggest thing was she was the, treated you the same as when you were four and when you were 18. And, mm-hmm. you know, she she probably had a lot of uh, self-discipline and uh, extreme ownership over decision-making and execution and things like that. And, and while even though when we're young, we don't understand what we're seeing, that affects us because kids are actually really smart because they're sponges. Now, they're not able to output the same IQ as what they're retaining. But when we're kids, we're retaining information like crazy. And when we get older, it gets harder. (laughs) Right. So that's kind of the first episode ever of the scoops. Um, I hope you guys thought we were fun and exciting or you thought something we said was, was relevant or, you know, you enjoyed listening to, um, we're kind of just doing it because we want to do it. So also if you didn't like it, well, that's okay. You didn't like it, but, uh, we're going to keep making these about once a month until we're, uh, until we're a little more established or we have a better baseline of how to do these things, record and, and post them. Uh, I'll be doing the editing, so sorry if it's terrible. But uh, what Kiana's going to also be doing is she'll be choosing a book of the month where the three of us will read it. Uh, the book can range in different topics, um, kind of related to sports, fitness, and business. Uh, maybe some mental health or relationships as well. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll review the book, we'll read it, and then we'll just talk about it a little bit at the end of our shows to have something to talk about. Uh, another segment we're looking at doing, but we gotta, we don't really have any interviews yet, but we'll do live guests or recorded guests, uh, as well as we're going to be, you know, looking at the people that raised us. We want to talk to some of our moms and about the challenges they faced. So those are kind of some of the things you can look forward to, uh, coming on the, the scoops podcast. Uh, we're also launching a website soon, which will have blogs, which review different fitness and you know, mental health and business topics, such as the stuff we talked about today and how it ties in and what our thoughts and feelings are. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you'll follow us. And uh, thanks, guys. 
Do you want to tell them what the book of the month is? <laughs> do you want to do it now or you want to wait to the next one? I don't know next if I can one. get it in. That's a next hard one. edit. No. Why? You I can just do Oh, I can just say now. And a little bit of postscript here. We noticed that Ben forgot to tell us what the book of the month is. Uh, so we will be reading Everything is Fucked by Mark Manson. His original um, book was a bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. This is the sequel to that. Um, so we'll be reading that. We will talk about it at the end of the next podcast. And then I'll write a little bit more of an in-depth review summary thing um, on a blog post on our website. Join along. Chee! <laughs> Chee!